0: You know, the Jews had been led into captivity and uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. It was a horrible captivity. Jerusalem had been leveled to the ground. The walls were down. The gates were just like stones piled up as garbage. And there were about 42,000 Jews that had survived the captivity and were now back in Jerusalem, 42,000. So uh, Nehemiah asked uh, some of the Jews that had been over there, well, tell me about uh, the Jews in in Jerusalem. Tell me about those who escaped the captivity. And the report was they're they're in bad shape, bad shape. The walls are down, the city's ruined, they're defeated, they're discouraged. Their enemies are mocking them. To make a long story short, God told Nehemiah, well, you go back, you go to Jerusalem, and you rally the Jews, and you rebuild the walls. Because you know, cities in that day without a wall was defenseless. And the fact that the walls of of Jerusalem were down meant it was a defenseless, defeated, disgraced city. So Nehemiah believed God went back, and and, and and they followed him and they began to build the wall. And they got about halfway up the wall, halfway. By the way, they had to rebuild all the gates. Now, if you want to be blessed and you want to see how people work together to accomplish the purpose of God, you read the first four chapters of Nehemiah. You read it. It will absolutely bless you and show you how in God's people put their mind to something and depend on the spirit of God, how that God can do more than we could ask or think. But they got the wall halfway up and Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies of the Jews heard about it and said, you know, that wall's never going go finish, to be finished. It's never going to stand. We're going to personally see that it's torn down. And we're coming and everywhere you look, you're going to see one of us, the enemy that is coming after you. Well, Nehemiah heard that. So he rallied the people. And so let's look at Nehemiah 13, 4, 13 and 14. Okay. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. He knew the enemy was going to come to try to stop him. I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. Now listen to this. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So here's the wall halfway up. And so uh, Nehemiah says, here's our plan. I want this family to go stand here and you're going to be the defense line with your swords and spears. Okay. Okay. Then he goes on in verse fourteen, and he encourages them. He said, "Look," and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, "This is Nehemiah talking," and to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, "Do not be afraid." Hey, listen, Tobiah and Sanballat and the Asodites, they were they were powerful people. The Jews with the walls down were no match for them. So. I, Nehemiah knew they had to realize that the battle was God's. So look what he said. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. He said, I want to tell you something. I know there's Sanballat and Tobiah. They're, they're a strong enemy, but I won't tell you, we've got a God that is great and awesome. Amen? Amen? Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And this is my text. And Fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and fight for your houses. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how to fight for your family. Now, I know in this case, he was saying, you fight so this wall will go up and your family will be safe. But first of all, I want to remind you, and this will help you to understand what battle is going on today. I want to remind you that the family has always been under attack. You know, anything that is precious to God, the devil hates. Have you ever wondered why all the the devil and all the demons of hell come against the church? Because it's the, the bride of Christ purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus loves the church. God loves the church. I'm not talking about religion. He loves his people that are called out of the world to walk with personal faith in Jesus Christ. And he loves the church and the devil hates it. And boy, that's why all the demons of hell try to defeat the church of Jesus Christ. But you know, the family is at the very heart of God and he greatly loves the family. And so you know the first thing the devil did? He attacked the family. And what he started doing at the beginning of creation, he's still doing today. Look in Genesis chapter 1. It'll be on the screen, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, now listen to these verses. I want to show you how he loves the family. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness and let them male and female, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth on earth. Then look at the next verse. So God created man in his image. And this is pretty significant. This next part. In the image of God, he created them male and what? Oh, there was a distinct difference, right? <laughs> he created them male and female. And, so, and, and, and God not only created them, but he put them in the garden and gave them everything that they needed to be blessed. I want you to look on to verse 28 now. It's going to come up. Notice how he provided for him. See, he not only created them in his image, gave them the power to rule and have dominion, but he said, I'm going to give you everything you need to, to accomplish and be what you ought to be. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, by the way, the only people that can be fruitful and multiply is a man and a woman. Did you know that? Okay, I just want to be sure you knew that. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he goes on and says, now I'm I've given you everything you need. And God said, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed and to you it shall be for food. He said, I've given you everything you need to have a good life. And then he goes on in verse 31. And and, and basically what he says, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. He said, this is good. He'd said about the animals that he had created, the sun, the moon, and the other things, that that's good. But man, he created the family. He said, man, this is good. It's very good. It's very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. Well, guess what? Immediately, Satan attacked the family. Immediately. And you look over in Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 22 and 23, and it talks about. Uh, all right, let, let me go back. I'm not going to spend time on the story because I've got to get to my last point. But we know the story that after God created them and put them on earth, gave them everything they needed, the devil came along, said, "Can you eat of all the trees of the garden?" Eve said, "We can eat off all of them, but one. We can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." And the devil lied to him and said, "Do you know why you can't eat of that tree? Because God knows if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God." Well, they already were in His image. He lied to him. But she said, "But you don't understand." He said, "If we ate of it, we would die." He said, "You won't die." God's a liar, you won't die. So the devil came, told him a lie, they believed it. The Bible says, Eve saw the tree, it was pleasant for the eyes, a thing to be desired, and she gave in to the desires of her heart, and she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she gave it to Adam, he ate of the need, uh, of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then, then this is what God said, look at this, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil, and now he... Lest he put his hand out and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, then he goes on and says, "I'm going to." Try. Then therefore the Lord sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which He was taken. Now God's prize let me just say, God's greatest creation and the thing that blessed the heart of God more than anything else, was no longer in the garden that God had created for them where everything was provided, but now God had to drive them out of the garden. And he told Adam, he said, you're going to till the ground in the sweat of your brow, and there are going to be thorns and thistles. He said, I'm telling you, Adam, it is not going to be easy. And you're going to go back to the dust from which you came. Now, you know, this was a blow at the heart of God. Well, You know, Adam and Eve had some some children. So the devil not only attacked the first marriage, he attacked the first children. And that's seen very clearly in Genesis 4, 8 through 10. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm saying to you from creation, the family has been under attack. And it is now under attack. And I want to say what Nehemiah said, fight. For your family, your marriage, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your brothers, your sisters. He said, now fight for them because they're under attack. And it says, now, now look, look, not only did Adam and Eve mess up, look what happened. Now, in Genesis 4, 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain had offered an an offering to God of the the fruit of the ground, which was not acceptable. Abel had offered the, 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 uh, the first of the flock, a sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. God accepted it. It upset Cain. Well, God said, if you've done right, it would never happen. He said, you better be careful because sin lies at your door. And so he goes out and he gets to talking to Abel and gets man, kills him. My goodness. We're not even to the fifth chapter of Genesis. And marriage has been assaulted. And the family has been attacked. And one brother kills another. Okay. Point has been made then that there is an attack on the family. So now, I want to take Nehemiah 4.14, if you'll put that on the screen, and I want to say to you, now, how do you fight? How do you fight? It says, look at the middle of the verse. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brothers. I was thinking about my, I made it personal, my five sisters and my one brother. And that could mean other people, But I was just thinking about my flesh and blood family. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Hey, you better fight for your daughters. And you better fight for your wives. And you better fight for your houses. And I got to thinking, man, how how do you you fight for your family? Now, in that verse... You, is, the most, is a very, very important thing it said. I want you to notice before he told them to fight, he said, remember, he said this, remember the Lord great and awesome. Then fight. Let me tell you something. You understand that there is a battle going on for your marriage. There's a battle going on for your sons and your daughters. There's a battle going on for your extended family. There's a battle going on, but you've got to remember that he told them before he told them to fight, he said, you've got to remember that God is great and awesome. And what he was saying for them is, as you stand on this wall with your family, with your swords and your spears, you understand, you do not stand there in the power of the flesh. You stand there in the power of the living God. So when we fight for our families, we are not fighting a human battle. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting a spiritual battle and the battle is the Lord's. See, now you'll get discouraged if you think you're fighting for your family and you just got to do it the best you can. No, you can't do it. You have got to know that it is only by the power of God that you can fight effectively for your wives, for your children, for your family. it is only by the God, the Lord God, great and awesome, that you can do that. And I want to make it very clear: the reason the battle is the Lord is because on Calvary's hill, two thousand years ago, Jesus won the battle. Hallelujah! I want you to know, Hallelujah! Give the Lord a hand. He did. Jesus, listen, Satan. Wounded Jesus' foot, but Jesus crushed the devil's head. And on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated him, total, absolute defeat. He knows he's defeated. He knows his time is limited. He knows that hell is his destination. So what he wants to do is to try to hurt the heart of God, and the way he can do that is to attack the church, the body of Christ, and to attack the family, that is so precious and meaningful to God. But we don't say, God, you win the victory. We thank God that he's already won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that victory is ours in Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus. And when you fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your marriage and your houses, listen to me. You've got to understand this is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. All I can see is what I see in my senses, what I can see with my eyes. You've got to understand... Don't you trust what you see with your eyes. There's a battle going on in the heavenly places. There's a battle going on in the spiritual world. There's a battle going on in the hearts of your sons and daughters and your wives and husbands. There's a spiritual battle going on. And unless you see that, you'll always be trying to fix it and you won't trust God to do a work in their hearts. It is a spiritual battle. And it is a continuous battle. But the victory has been won listen as we as we as we fight for our families listen we have the powerful blood of jesus listen there is power in the blood of jesus you know the devil hates the blood of christ y'all do know that don't you he hates it you know there's some churches that say that that's not relevant for our time we don't like a bloody religion hey that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life You read the word of God and everything was sanctified in the Old Testament. They would sprinkle it with the blood of a lamb. And you get over there and the Bible says, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. Praise God, you can't sing enough, preach enough, or talk enough about the blood of Jesus Christ. The devil hates it because there's power wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. I'm telling you there is. And we need to use it as we fight for our sons and daughters and as we fight for our marriages. It's the blood of Christ. We have the blood of Christ. We have the powerful Word of God. In a humanistic society that is humanistic and socialistic, we don't have to listen to humanism and socialism. We have the Word of God. So we fight for our families with the blood of Christ. And we fight for our families with the Word of God. And the Word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Praise God for the power of His Word. And we fight, we have the powerful Holy Spirit. I'm so glad as we face the enemy who would seek to destroy our families. Man, we got the blood of Christ. We got the Word of God. and We got the indwelling Holy Spirit as we fight that battle. The battle is the Lord's. Let me just show you. Ephesians 1, look at this. Just points out that Satan is a defeated foe. And as you fight the battle for your children, and I'm going to share with you how to do it, and for your marriage, you got to remember the battle is the Lord, it says. Look at verse 19. I wish we understood this. Paul says, now look, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power To us who believe. You know who us is? Us. Isn't that good? I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And then he goes on and tells us about it. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Jesus Christ this moment is seated at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. Glory to the Lamb of God. Look on at the next verse. He's there far above every principality, every power, all might, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And look at this. God said, I put everything under his feet. And he put all things under the feet of Jesus The devil knows that he's under the feet of Jesus. The demons know they're under the feet of Jesus. The world system knows it's under the feet of Jesus. And I want to tell you right now, we've got to recognize that we serve an awesome, mighty Savior who has everything in control and under his feet. Jesus is not wringing his hands in heaven and said, what in the world is coming to? What is this world coming to? Jesus knows that he has won the victory. And we need to know it. And we need to fight with that evermore in our hearts. Okay. Now this battle involves every member of the family. It says in that verse, it says, fight for your houses, fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your brethren. We're fighting for the entire family. We're fighting for them because there's a battle. They're under attack. Okay, now, you say, Brother Fred, how do I fight? Let me see what time it is, 1028? I haven't got but eight things I want to tell you. <laughs> but I'll tell you as quick as I can. All right, now listen. Every one of these is important. Where did you get them from? I just stayed and prayed and asked God to show me. Didn't get them out of any book. I mean, I just said, Lord, I just want to know how we fight for the family. How do we do it? How do I fight for my wife? Or how do I fight for my husband? Or how do I fight for my son? Or my daughter? Or my grandchild? How do I do that, Lord? I need to know what is your plan. First of all, and foremost, by the power of Jesus Christ, You have to live a righteous, godly, holy life before your family. You need to understand that your life should be a testimony to your wife or to your husband or to your son or your daughter or your grandchildren. Your life ought to be a testimony. I'll tell you one thing. Jesus is real. He's real. He's real in my life. Let me tell you something. The Word of God is true. Man, the Word of God, I I live by it. And I'm telling you, it works in my life. And and, and I'm telling you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome temptation and we can overcome sin. And see, let me tell you something. If you're going to have any credibility, if you're going to have any power as you fight for your family, then you have got to to let Christ manifest himself through you. Now, if if they don't see Jesus is real in you, if they don't see the word of God is powerful in you, if they don't see you walking in righteousness and holiness, not walking perfectly, but blamelessly, that when you mess up, you accept responsibility, you repent and you are then blameless. Let me tell you something, you are gonna lose the battle unless you're living a righteous, godly, holy life in the presence of your wife or husband or son or daughter or grandchildren. Let me tell you something. If you're not living it, they're not going to believe it. Do you understand me? You can say, no, nah, you, can, you can talk. But listen, I'm talking about you're living out a righteous life. They see Christ in you. That's got to be there if you're going to win the battle for your family. You've got to be living a living reality that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's only done as you depend on Christ, dying to yourselves, allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life, and you live it in the presence of your family. Here's the second thing. Now, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, a godly life, you ask God for wisdom what to do. Right, for example, if, if it's for your wife, or if it's for your husband, or if it's for your son or your daughter, are you, you saying, no, the Lord, everybody's different. You, you, you didn't make a bunch of clones. Everybody's unique, has their own DNA. And so God, I, 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 I need wisdom to know What's going on in my wife's life? I need wisdom to know what's going on in my husband. Lord, I need to know what's going on, wisdom to know how to pray and minister to my daughter or to my son. Listen, it is complex. You know, you think you know everything in the world about raising children until you have some, and then you realize you don't know nothing. And you think all your children are going to grow up to be the Apostle Paul or Mary Magdalene, and they don't do that. And so when you're fighting for your family, you've got to say, God, you said if any man lack wisdom, it's on the screen, let him ask of God who giveth to all people liberally and upbraideth not. Lord, you've got to show me how to minister to my son. The devil's got him a captive. Lord, you've got to show me how to minister to my daughter. The world has her in its clutches. Now, God, you've got to show me how to minister to my wife because instead of building bridges and getting closer together, we're building walls and our marriage is not as strong as it was. God, you got to show me. You got to say, Lord, you got to show me how to minister to my husband so that he will be strong. See, just don't go blindly in there and just do whatever the flesh says. You pray for God to give you wisdom. And to show you what the real problem is and what the source is, you must have the wisdom of God. As you talk to them, pray with them, as you fight on their behalf, you must have the wisdom of God. Here's the third thing. Do not compromise the word of God. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. All right, so you're having a problem in your marriage. Then what's going to happen is... If a person has a knowledge of the Bible and whether it's a man or a woman and they start making a choice and moving in a direction that's wrong, what they will say to you is this, well, you know, that's not really what the Bible means. <laughs> that's not really what it means. It means this. And you, you, you've got to understand that that was written in that day in that culture. And that really doesn't apply to us today. Have you ever heard that before? And so what will happen when you're fighting for your son or your daughter? They'll come back and say, well, my generation doesn't believe that way. That, that's not what we believe. They've been brainwashed, many of them. And what we have convictions that are wrong, they don't have any convictions. Since they were in the first grade, they've heard that homosexuality and lesbianism is acceptable. They've heard that same-sex marriage. Hey, they've heard that. So you've got a different level. Of, and so what you have to do as you fight for your family, you cannot in any way compromise the word of God. Let me tell you, God's word has not changed. And the Bible says it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you stand on the word of God, the word of God is the sword of the spirit that can be used to pierce the heart of the devil. You will be pressured by those that you're fighting for to say, no, I I don't believe the Bible anymore. I I don't believe it like I used to. You know, and you don't know how many people that grow up in church, their kids get off to college and come back and think they're smarter than Einstein. And and they got all the answers, you know, and say, well, I don't believe that anymore. Well, let me tell you one thing. You say, I do. And it's the only book to live by and the only book to die by. You don't break the word of God. If you break it, it breaks you. And I'm telling you, when the storms come, when the storms comes, he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a person who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. If your life is built on the rock of the obedience to the word of God, it will stand. If it is not, it will be like shifting sand. And you know that, and I know that, but they don't know that. And so what you're going to try to do is wiggle out of their responsibility for their lifestyle by trying to persuade you not to believe the whole word of God and to declare it with authority. It'll happen every time. Here's the fourth thing you do. You have to live a righteous and godly life. You have to ask God for wisdom for each person that you're fighting for. You cannot compromise the word of God. Now, let me say this to you. Please hear me on this. You speak the truth in love. Are you listening? I'm going to tell you what I have found. We have two sons, Ann and I, Mark and Jeff. Mark's 55, Jeff's 52. My, I was got married when I was twelve, so you can understand how I have kids that old. That's old, my lord. And 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 they're and, and they're all different. But you but you but you understand that uh, uh, you 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 can't you're not going to reach your sons or daughters. Now stay with me. You're not going to reach your husband or your wife or your grandchildren that that are that are messed up. You're not going to reach them by condemning them. You're not going to do it. You're not going to reach them by telling them how sorry they are. You're not going to reach them by telling them how disappointed you are in them. You're not going to reach them by telling them that I'm just ashamed of what you are. See, you have all those feelings, won't I? You say, that's wrong, that's wrong. And you want to just keep telling them, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's of the devil, it's wrong. And... And you're going to say it, but let me say something. It's the way you say it. You can say, you know, son, that that is a sin against God. And you may not believe that, but let me tell you what the Bible says. Well, I don't want to hear the Bible. I'm going to tell you anyway. Let me tell you what it says. And in love, you say, it says, this is what it says. And all you do is speak the truth to it. But you know, they know in their hearts the Spirit of God bears witness that something's wrong in their lives. So what you have to do is in Ephesians 4, 15, it says, speak the truth in love. And I want to tell you, it is so hard not to get emotionally upset when it's your wife or your husband or your sons or daughters. It is You, you can be objective with everybody else. You can talk in a calm manner and you can be James Dobson, the counselor. But when it comes to your kids, you go nuts. Raise your voice. And you end up fussing at them. You say, how do you know that? Because I've done it many times. (laughs) Don't look pious, you have too. It's hard to be objective with your kids. It's hard to be objective when you're in a marriage that's struggling. It's hard. But I promise you, you've got to speak the truth in love and compassion. Let the word of God, it's not your responsibility to do the convicting. It's not your responsibility to do to be through the persuading. It is for you just to love them and speak the truth in love to them and let the Holy Spirit of God do his work in their life. You will never reach them unless you speak the truth of God in love. You hate their sin But you know how much you love them. And that's why it's so hard to be objective and to deal with them. But I'm just saying to you, do not compromise the word of God, but speak the truth in love. Here's number four. We're doing real good. Do not let them blame you or others for their sin. You know, uh, I'm, I'm getting tired of people telling me that it was because of something somebody did 100 years ago. That's the reason why I act the way I act. No, that's not the reason the way I act. Somebody did something hundred years ago. You know the reason I act the way I act? Because I make that choice. You understand? Well, you know, it, y- y'all really didn't love me. Y'all really didn't. I'm just, I can't get into this. All I'm saying is people want to blame their sin on somebody else. Now, a lot of people have a lot of hurt. A lot of people have a lot of baggage. But when you get to an age where you you know right from wrong and you understand you cannot excuse your sin and your rebellion on something that happened to you in the past. Jesus doesn't say, now don't lie unless you've been hurt. Somebody lied to you before. Don't be verbally abusive to your wife. Uh, don't, Don't do that unless your father was verbally abusive to his wife. See, people try to justify their sin by blaming it on someone else they'll even try to blame it on you well if you have raised me right i wouldn't be where i'm at well thanks a whole lot but i did the best i could don't let them excuse their sin by blaming it on something that happened in their past or someone else if there's hurt in their past you pray with them and help them heal it and help them get there but i'm telling you there are going to be no excuses when we stand before God and we say, God, I lived a life of sin and rebellion because God said there's no because. You lived it because that was your choice. Don't you let them blame it on somebody else. You make them accept responsibility for their sin. Here's the next one. Now, you've got to get this. The greatest need of any member of your family, whether it's your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your grandchildren, your brother or your sister, their greatest need is that they have an encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, uh, we we say, just just straighten up. Just quit drinking. Just quit sleeping with that woman you're not married to. Quit committing fornication. Quit being a drunk. Quit being a... A liar, quit being full of bitterness and anger and hate. Uh, I mean, uh, quit quit letting the world put you in its mo. But listen, you're wasting your breath. If they could do it, perhaps they would have done it, but they can't do it. What you've got to do is you've got to pray that there will be an encounter with Jesus Christ that will absolutely change their life. If they don't get saved, they're not ever going to change if they don't get converted it's always going to be the same old stuff whether they're 5 whether they're 10 20 50 or 70 they must have a Second Corinthians 5, 17 experience. They must become a new creation in Jesus Christ where old things have passed away and all things have become new. But brother Fred, they were so sweet when they were seven years old and they went to church and they got baptized. Good, I understand. I thank God for that. But they've been living like hell ever since it's in the fifth, fifth grade. Wait a minute. You quit praying for them to straighten up and start praying, dear God, let the Holy Ghost conviction Fall on them. Break their heart over their sin. Let them so that they're lost and wicked without God. And then, Lord, bring them to salvation. Pray for the conversion of them. Well, I don't know if they're saved or not. You can't get saved twice and you can't get lost twice. So in doubt, pray for their salvation, will you? And I mean, plead before God. Cry out before God. I mean, it's desperate. It's desperate now. It's desperate. And so you've got to be desperate. And you've got to cry out before God that they'll have a conversion experience with Jesus Christ. Or they will never, ever change. And that's what's going to have to happen in your marriage. You may be living with a man that you were the sweetest thing on earth before you said, I do. And now he always finds fault with you. He criticizes you. Nothing you can do is right you think you were the scum of the earth and he just beats you up all the time? Let me tell you something. That, that man needs to get saved. Did you know that? Oh, no, that's just verbal abuse. That's wickedness. And people need to get saved. You don't act that way. I'm saying we need to pray for conversion. All right, here's the next thing. I'm on six. Six. Two more to go. Um, do not enable your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter. To, do not enable them to continue in a wicked lifestyle. Don't be an enabler. Don't be an enabler. Now, if it's your husband or your wife, your son, your daughter that come to you and they've reached the end of their rope they have realized they're at the bottom now and they know that the only way they can go is up and they won't help, then you go to whatever extreme you have to go to see that they get the help. Get them somebody that can lead them to conversion. Get them to somebody that can deal with demonic influences in their life. Listen, when they are sincere and ready, then you do everything. Don't Don't you let anything stop you from seeing them through until they get set free and delivered and made whole by Jesus. But, now let me just tell you one thing. If somebody's lying to you and manipulating you and and just using you so they can continue living a wicked lifestyle, then if you continue to enable them to do that, you become partners with them and you're enabling them to continue in an ungodly way. And you can't do that. But it's my son. I know that. But you, you don't want to enable him to continue to live a destructive lifestyle. Well, it's my daughter. Well, you don't want to enable her. You just have to express tough love. And, and that's hard, but you've got to do it. You cannot enable them. I got to thinking about um, the prodigal son. He was in the far country. He had a lot of money. He wasted it all. He came to the end of it and he didn't have anything to eat and he was going to have to go to the pig pen. So he texted his daddy on his cell phone and said, Daddy, you know, I've made some wrong choices and, but I, I mean, uh, if you, I, I need a little money because I ain't got anything to eat and I, 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 you don't want me in the pig pen. So his father goes to Western Union, wires him $50. Two weeks later, same thing. You know, Dad, I'm out of money again. Well, finally he wakes up and says one thing. As long as I keep sending him money, He ain't never going to leave the far country. He's got to get to the pig pen and smell like a pig before he's going to come back. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't like that. I can't help it whether you like it or not. You cannot enable them to continue in a wicked lifestyle. You say, but it's hard, Brother Fred. What if they end up in jail? That may be the safest place they could be. Hey, I just kind of thought about this. You go down and bail him out of jail the first time. Then you go bail him out the second time. And you look him in the eye or look her in the eye and say, now, you get in jail again, you're staying in. You wouldn't leave me in jail. Trust me, I would too. You say, that's hard. No, it isn't. That's tough love. Do not enable the person that you're... Now, if your husband is constantly abusing you... Don't you just keep taking that and just let him just knock you around like it. Listen, don't you keep doing that. There's going to come a time and say, listen, I don't have to put up with this. And I don't intend to put up with this. Either you treat me with respect and honor and dignity or you can just pack and go on out. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want a divorce. I'm not going to file for a divorce. But I'm not going to live with somebody that treats me like a bag of dirt. And if you keep belittling your husband and tell him how, uh, how, how you're disappointed in him and how, in effect, how you don't have respect for him and, and you, don't, you, you do not work to build a bond in your marriage with your husband, then one of these days, he's just going to say, I'm not this, I've had enough of this. I never enc- encourage anybody to get a divorce, but I have encouraged a lot of people to get out of the hell they were living in, hoping that the people would change when they got out of it. Do not enable a person to continue in the lifestyle they're in. Don't be an enabler. You have to draw the line. If we're going to fight for our sons and our daughters, all right, and then let's see here. All right, here we go. I I, I can't tell what time it is. All right. uh, Okay. Number seven, keep pointing them to Jesus. Jesus. They're not going to like it. They're going to say, you're preaching to me. But you say, listen, son, you just need Jesus. You just need him. Oh, darling, I'm telling you, you just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. You need him. You can say to your husband, you know, if you just get Jesus where he ought to be, our marriage will be good. You can say to your wife, you get Jesus where he ought to be. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Don't try to psychological, psychoanalyze them into it. And I, I, I believe in counseling. I believe in encouraging people. And I believe in people helping to understand themselves. But I want to tell you something. You keep pointing them to Jesus. Because if they just reform for a little while, they'll go right back from where they came unless they come to Jesus. Do you understand? Keep pointing them to Jesus. Now, Here's um, the last thing, the most important. You've got to fight the battle in prayer. I'll tell you three things about prayer, how you've got to fight it. I can do it real quick. Fight the battle in prayer, desperate prayer, prevailing prayer, warfare prayer. Matthew 12, 28, and 29. I'm going to talk more about this tonight as we have the Lord's Supper and as we pray. I'm going to talk more about this, but I want you to get this right now. You have got to, you, you've got to really storm the throne of heaven. I mean, constantly for your son, your daughter, your wife. Your, you have got to bombard heaven. You've got to. And a part of that is to bind the strong man in their life that is holding them captive. Jesus says in verse 28, "If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he goes on in verse 9. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? This is what the Lord is saying. Listen, your son or daughter, your husband or wife, they're in bondage, man. The strong man has got them tied up. So what you do you enter the strong man's house and in the name, the power and the blood of Jesus, you break the power of the strong man. You plunder his goods and you bind that strong man, whatever it might be in your son or daughter's life, you bind that strong man and you command them to release them and let them go. And you keep binding the strong man until you plundered his goods. And one day his son or daughter, your wife or husband says, thank God I'm free. Hallelujah. You bind the strong man. You do it in prayer. You ask God to show you what strong man you need to bind in the name of Jesus. Here's the second thing. You, gotta, you win the battle on your knees now. You win it on your knees. There's the binding of the strong man. Number two, there's the prayer of agreement. You've got to get people to stand with you. Look at Matthew chapter 18, 19 and 20. This it is. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, It would be done of my father in heaven. He says, listen, if two of you, you get get some people to pray in agreement with you. You say, listen, I want you to pray in agreement with me for my marriage, for my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, my grandchild, I want you to pray in agreement with you. And he said, if any two of you shall agree as touching any one thing and ask, it, it will be granted of my father in heaven. Now look at the next verse. This is the power of united prayer. This is why it's so important when churches pray, when a church prays, united about something, for where two or three are gathered in my name. He just talked about praying in agreement and that God would answer. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Listen, don't minimize the power of united prayer. Get some people to pray with you. Get a group of people to pray with you. Join hearts and hands and go to war for your wife or your husband, your son, your daughter. Go to war with people who, of like mind who know how to pray and pray in faith. Here's the third thing. Um, some, are, some, some aren't set free except by prayer and fasting. Look at Mark 9, 29. The battle's won in prayer, I'm telling you now. I've told you all these other things that help, but you're going to win it on your knees when you bind the strong man, when you pray united prayer in agreement, and then when you, it says here, but he said to them that the the father had a son who, since he was about five years, eight or nine years old, had been cast down and sometimes cast into the fire. The disciples could not help him. Jesus had just come off the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples were helpless to help this boy that was convulsing and going falling into the fire. And the father asked Jesus, would you do it? Would you do it? He said, okay. He said, I will. He said, but I want you to understand. He, and he spoke to the demon and the boy convulsed and the demon left him. And the disciples said, well, why couldn't we do it? Then this is what he said. He said to them, this kind cannot come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You've got to pray. You may fast one meal. You may fast one day. You may fast two days. You're denying yourself. You're saying, God, I'm telling you, I'll do whatever I have to do. And Lord, I, I, I've been praying. Nothing seems to happen. So evidently this ain't going to come out and this ain't going to be here unless I pray and fast. And so you pray and fast. I want to tell you something. The battle's won on your knees. At the back of the church, on the table, there's a warfare prayer booklet. There's a warfare prayer for your marriage. Most of you have one. There's a warfare prayer for a rebellious son or daughter. There's a warfare prayer for someone who, someone who seems to be demon demonized or demon-oppressed. It's a warfare prayer. It's got, it shows you how to pray warfare praying over an individual. If you don't fight for your family, then Who is? You know, he says to you and me, Fred, Bill, fight for your family, your wives, your sons, your daughters, your brethren, fight for them, fight for them. Don't let the devil who is defeated have victory in their lives. Fight for your family.